Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is July 22nd, 2019. This is episode 274, and my name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And we'll say not terrible things about our terrible team. We'll also see if your kiss is on our pitcher list. That's right, and we'll get back in the saddle and see if we still remember how to ride this crazy thing. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for this show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Uh, let's see. It's dealer's choice here. I'm going to go with a Goose Island IPA, which I don't think I've had since they were purchased by the big InBev. Hmm. Imagine you drinking an InBev beverage. I know. I know. Shocking. But, but, you know, it's not terrible beer. No, it's it's fine. It's Goose Island is still good beer. I'd prefer you to drink that than Michelob. And they've... I think they've left them pretty much well alone to, to do their thing. Sure. Big companies always leave smaller companies Absolutely. alone. No question about It'll, it. This won't end poorly at all. No, not at all. What about you? Uh, I'm doing a replicate from last week. I'm doing a nasty woman from Independent Brewing. Uh, I've been out of the country most of this week, so I really didn't need to go out and, in essence, buy beer this past weekend. Now, you were at a, a all-inclusive place. Uh, what I was, was in a little town on the other side of the border. Wah, wah. Uh, what what was your drink of the week uh, south of the border? Uh, tequila. Mm. Lots of margaritas and lots of tequila. Mm. So jelly. Yeah. I think I maybe had like one or two or three gin tonics, but lots and lots of margaritas. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, if you're interested to see what it is that we are drinking, please join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, it's time for a checkup. Yeah, that's right. There are things afoot in the medical wing. Let's go through it. I think the most notable is really uh, what's the deal with jo- uh, Josh Rogers, right? That's the thing we care about the most this week. I guess. No. Uh, let's talk about Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy is still on the 10-day IL with right knee tendonitis. Um, he is scheduled to have another bullpen session. Uh, uh, actually, should have had it by now. And uh, Dylan Bundy is, uh, well, he may be back this week. My question, though, is, do we think he's really, really ready? Because, you know, the pitching that they've managed to cobble together over the last, you know, series, there's no rush, right? Uh, Yes, there's a rush. I mean, we need to, in essence, get better pitchers out there one day. But you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it, Dylan Bundy, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, Dylan Bundy right now is scheduled to be the starter um, as per the Orioles for Tuesday night's game. So it sounds like they're going to activate him accordingly for Tuesday's game. But you know, there's always a possibility for a setback, as it were. So, yes, I would rather see him pitching than um, Aaron Brooks this evening. I totally agree. Who the hell is Aaron Brooks? By I way? have no idea. Okay, Great name. But, uh, well, great is half it? a name. Yeah, let's say. The thing is, I don't want to see Dylan Bundy back unless he's right. 
Uh, secondly, Stevie Wilkerson's been stretched so out. So does he need room for assignment? to mean, <laughs> he's been uh, Stevie Wilkerson's been stretched out to two innings. So I mean, opener. He's got opener stuff. He's got opener stuff. Absolutely want to see it. Uh, I loved his quote asking, like, were you actually looking at Cisco in terms of what fingers he was throwing? He's like, no, I just threw the ball. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, we had a tweet earlier this week come into us from a listener of the show. This tweet comes from Evan Briggs at ebriggs101, and he asked the question, will we ever see Mark Trumbo this season? Is he still alive? After some research, we don't know. We have no idea. Look, he is taking, taking batting practice this week, but honestly— I think he's dead. I mean, I, I think this is a a facsimile, as it were. Um, this is, you know, optical illusion. We talked about augmented reality already on uh, the show before earlier this season. Um, who really wants to see Mark Trumbo? Well, as you know, the Orioles' offense is the problem. Oh, totally. No yeah. question about yeah. it. Yeah. We, we desperately need a DH or we might not win games. Well, let's just point it out. The offense, the defense, pitching, everything is the problem. Everything is a problem. Anything else that we want to talk about in the medical wing? No, I mean, I think with the exception of Dylan Bundy, there's really not anything that, that matters. All right, so let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Start us off, Jake. All right, this tweet really could go out to any Ori- former Oriole, any of them. The tweet is as follows. This comes from Mark Viviano, who tweets at Mark WJZ. By the way, one of the nicest guys in the biz. He tweets as follows. There are many measures of frustrations of Chris Davis. This comparison to league minimum former Oriole Christian Walker is just one of them. Can't predict baseball. And it's a side-by-side image of some 2019 stats as of uh, July 18th of Chris Davis and, uh, you know, Christian Walker, who we knew so well. And it is not a flattering look for Chris Davis. But frankly, I challenge you to find a former Oriole that there would be a flattering comparison for Chris Davis. There isn't. There isn't. I mean, one that's actively in the league right now, there isn't. But, I mean, I agree with you. You can make these um, comparisons, as it were, in terms of um, performances. I saw one today, um, I believe it was from Eric RDT, um, who mentioned um, that Bryce Harper and Trey Mancini both have similar offensive performances right now. But ultimately, I'm still going to choose Bryce Harper over a longer-term sample size. Way better hair. Yeah, absolutely. My wife would agree with that. Um, but listen, you, there's no question that uh, Christian Walker, you know, is a better first baseman than Chris Davis is right now. That doesn't mean that he's someone that I think I want on my team. I want Trey Mancini as my first baseman. What about, and hear me out on this one. Okay. What if we give Christian Walker $161 million oh. and watch him night after night light it on fire? Uh, th- that sounds wonderful. Let's do that. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, can't we just be happy for Christian Walker? Like, he didn't do it here. Uh, I didn't expect him to be anything special. He wasn't. And now he's off, one, being teammates with Adam Jones, and, B, having an okay season. Good for him. All right. Next tweet. uh, Well, we were just talking about Eric. Uh, You can follow Eric at edd22, which I believe is his new Twitter following, um, if you need to follow him. For the time being. For the time being, yes. You've been on notice. Eric, be good. Um. Brian Dozier is going to be pissed the Orioles are scrolling all these insurance runs. And, of course, this is in reference to last Wednesday's game where the Orioles just piled on the runs. Yeah, but this is also in reference to him being pissed, pissed. that one time that Chan Sisko bunted. Yes. That one time. That one time. Yeah. Here's the thing. I love this tweet, 
and I love the fact that he remembers it. And so I, I just want to ask, like, what other minor slights do you hold on to way too long? And this is not a criticism. Sure. This is not a criticism because I will give you mine. Yeah. My uh, minor slight that I hold on to way too hard is Tory Hunter having beef with getting hit by uh, Bud Norris mm-hmm. when it was clearly non-intentional. Sure. That and, and you know he he was talking after the game about wanting to whoop his <clears throat> posterior posterior um and I just thought like wow taking yourself too seriously and and like any time I see Tory Hunter speak all I can think is anger management dude anger management yeah so that's that's mine what what minor slight of a another baseball player do you just like cling to so I don't consider it to be a minor slight. But I, I do consider it to be something that when I still see this person, I get visibly angry with okay. this person. Uh, and it's actually in reference to a conversation that we were having off mic earlier. Uh, it's CC Sabathia. I absolutely hate CC Sabathia with a passion due to what he did to Nick Markakis in 2012. And I know it's probably unintentional and, you know, it, it, it it's not something he did on purpose. But by God, I just want to punch him in the face and just be like, I cannot believe you took Nick Marquez out and didn't allow him to play in 2012 in the playoffs. All right. So I have a minor uh, wrist injury in my, my throwing arm, my left arm. Um, and so I, just throwing arm. so I went uh, to get some x-rays on it to make sure there wasn't a hairline fracture in there. And the x-ray tech is in there and he goes, oh, do you remember uh, Nick Marquez breaking his haymate bone? I was like, oh, do I remember yeah, just about every day it keeps me up at night. I wake up sobbing because of Nick Marcakis and that uh, inside fastball. He's like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it's like I, I wasn't expecting such a a, a passion yeah. there. So, uh, but yeah, CC, um, yeah, forever, for, forever stained in my head of being like, you took away that opportunity from Nick Marcakis. Can you imagine having him in that playoff series? I just. Mm. All right, I need to move on or I'm going to start getting emotional. Um, We choose to watch the Orioles, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Oh, yeah. Scott, this is a tweet from NBC Sports Orioles at NBCS Orioles. The at Bowie Bay Sox are wearing the best uniforms you will ever see on Saturday. And, Scotty, you know that I have a passion for sports aesthetics. And this one? Pretty good. Pretty good. This is a Bowie Bay Sox uniform with, well, let's say on the back is a shot of the moon, a moon shot, you might say, uh, with the numbers in uh, red, white, and blue as the uh, flag. And on the front, a picture of Neil Armstrong saluting in front of said American flag on the GD moon with the earth rising in the background to, of course, celebrate uh, man walking on the moon 50 years ago. This past week. Um, good for the Bowie Bay Sox. You got to do crazy stuff to to bring people in to minor league baseball. Uh, just ask the Orioles. Uh, this is a cool uniform. I'm I, down. I am confused, though. All right. This is something that bothers me. And this is, again, a minor arc of myself. It's not, a, it's not a hoax if that's where you're going. No. So NBC Sports Orioles is run by NBC Sports Washington. Mm. Why is NBC Sports Washington covering the Orioles whatsoever. Well, they need those three or four Washingtonites that uh, still still root for the Orioles. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is is NBC Sports what Comcast Sportsnet used yes. to be? Okay. Yes. Okay. So, like, I understand it from, you know, coverage of, like, you know, the Capitals or, you know, the Wizards. Um, maybe even the Nationals, even though you can basically turn into mass. And I just don't understand why there needs to be someone doing social media for NBC Sports Washington for the Orioles. Think about it this way. It's like if you're in Washington, mm-hmm. which has become enemy territory, mm-hmm. it's like Voice of America. It's like pirate radio. You know, it's the underground Orioles coverage. Why wouldn't you just turn into us or like any of the other folks that are actually like I real can, pirate radio? I can give you lots of reasons why oh, okay. people don't tune into us. Yeah, that's true. There's probably books written about that. Um, yeah, okay. Just just was curious and just something that was weirding me out a little bit. Uh, last one. Uh, Jake, uh, this is goes into the think before you tweet category. Don't do it, but okay. Uh, this next tweet comes from Emily Gorin, uh, at Gorin mom. Uh, and it says, why is the great at Jim 22 Palmer, not at the MLB hall of fame, bad look, dot, 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 dot. Uh, and in classic Jim Palmer aspect, just like he did to you recently, <laughs> just Jake, like he schooled me, um, just like how he eviscerated you. Um, he responds back to Gorin M.O.M. or Gorin Mom. Emily, I rearranged my schedule to attend my father-in-law's memorial service and then stayed with my stepson who has autism so my wife could move my mom to memory care in Texas. We juggle our lives to care for those who need us. And sometimes that means I miss the Hall of Fame. Judging is a bad look. Oof. That tweet is so, first of all, so justified. Yeah. And second of all, so brutal. Oof. That is one of those moments where you take a you take a a step out into the internet and you wish you could just disappear into the ground, or you know you just delete your account. Mm. Mm. Yeah, brutality, brutality. All right, uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's get some some insight, as it were, into what recently just happened this past week, and uh, let's talk about the good fortune that the Orioles had uh, for this last Red Sox series in this week of baseball. Did not suck. That's right, folks. It's time to jump back on the bandwagon, as it were. Here, let's and cheer ce- it. Here, let's, let's celebrate. celebrate. All right. We're opening beers. We're celebrating. We just need some chicken. Yep. And just sending back all those folks from Northern Virginia and Glen Burnie. Arbutus. And Arbutus. Back to where they became. The Arbutus people, by the way, hate it when I say that. Yep. And uh, hey, uh, the Orioles took two or three from the Boston Red Sox, and Jason Lockenvor could be never more <laughs> conflicted in his life. Uh, so some positive this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one died of heat stroke that we at least we heard. It has been so unpleasant. I cannot mm-hmm. even imagine being at a baseball game. Yeah. So I went to Mexico. Uh, Mexico was 15 degrees cooler <laughs> in Cancun, Mexico compared to Maryland. Uh, and when I was just like, oh, I'm from Maryland, they're just like, oh, well, this must be a big transition for you from a temperature standpoint. So like, yeah, it's actually cooler. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. And they're <laughs> yeah. just like, no one is at, dying. They looked at me like. Are you drunk? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually serious. Let me pull up my weather app. And they're just like, oh, oh okay. 
Um, so yeah, it was good that no one that we've heard of so far has died. But uh, I also want to point out too, I thought it was great that the Orioles set up ice stations, misting tents, and did a bunch of things to basically encourage people to stay hydrated in an appropriate manner. Yeah, yeah. Say what you will, and I do about the fact that they they do not man the uh, the the concession stands the way they ought to. They don't have particularly good coverage in the stadium except for this kind of stuff, which they absolutely do correctly. So yeah, heat stroke, not so good. But here's something that's good. Mm-hmm. We instantly, in a single game, won the Andrew Kashner trade. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly like we talked about. Um, Andrew Kashner um, was doing great, um, and then there was the you know, potential for him to basically bottom out. And we talked about the BABIP. We talked about the historically low home runs per nine. And we said, it's probably not going to last much longer. And you know what? It didn't last much longer. So maybe Andrew Kashner will figure it out. But more than likely, Andrew Kashner is going to be the Andrew Kashner that we expected him to be. When you run into a buzzsaw like the Orioles offense. You mean like Trey Mancini? No one is going to stand up to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's no good. Hey, the Orioles put up 11 runs on the Red Sox in a single game. A smackdown, as it were, on Friday night. Yeah. Who needs Mark Trumbo? Yeah. We we had the Taco Bell lineup running. Uh, Wait, that's not what I want. We had the Taco Bell lineup working. Doesn't matter. Yeah. There were a lot of runs. There were a lot of runs, and hey, none for me in Mexico, so it was good. Uh, the Orioles then responded with a 17-16 to loss with Tom Eshelman, Jake's favorite pitcher, going out there and laying up an absolute dud. Jim Palmer's favorite pitcher to eviscerate me on Twitter. With. Yes. Um, but, you know, we come into Sunday's game and you're just like, okay, well, at least they took Friday night's game. Right, at least we got one nice game. At least we got one nice game. And, you know, Cashner's going to come in and just absolutely dominate this team. But, hey, Asher Wojciechowski. Yeah. I think uh, Jeremy Khan is calling him Wojo, which I think is is perfectly mm. fine. So I'm calling. I think we can go with Asher Wojo. Um, had a great game. In fact, you a- know, a Waj. Yeah, a Waj. We can go with that too. Uh, had I think the ninth best game score for a pitcher in Orioles history. Um, yeah, had a great slider working the whole game. Um, great to see. Um, when he had five strikeouts through the first two innings. I was looking at it. I'm like, okay, how are they going to screw this up? <laughs> right. But sure enough, the Orioles managed to keep going. Um, and, you know, they hit home runs and they took the lead. I'm like, okay, so is Michael Gibbons going to come in and blow this game? Like, what is going to be the precipitous fallout that's going to make me take a game that I thoroughly enjoyed listening to and basically like, okay, that's what I came to expect. I'm going to say something – and I swear this is not backhanded and this is not meant to be negative. This is actually like I'm trying to say a nice thing here, a positive thing. When you look at a guy like Awaj, his career is probably going to be limited. He's in, a 30 in the, year old in the majors. Yeah, he's right? 30 years old and he's a pitcher. Yeah. This game is the kind of thing that when he looks back on his career, mm-hmm. what an amazing thing that is. I mean, think about a guy who has has had as many struggles as he has had, who you know went through a drought of not even in pitching in the majors. He's pitching for the worst team in baseball, and yet he has this any given Sunday performance where for one day he was like the best pitcher in baseball. 
yep. right? Where he mows down a, a ridiculously talented Boston Red Sox lineup where he no hits them for far too long. He has everything working. It's like storybook perfect. And he's got that on his resume. Right. He can he can go back to that anytime he wants. And yeah. so it's like Brian Mattis versus David Ortiz. Brian Mattis can literally sit at his house now. Um, I'm assuming he's retired because I can't imagine he's doing anything else and be like, man, I owned David Ortiz harder than a Dominican Republic drug lord. That's terrible. See, the reference I would have made would, <laughs> would have been that they brought me in for a hit on David Ortiz every time he came up late in the games. We're terrible people. What I was trying to say, what I was trying to say is that regardless of where his career goes or how effective or ineffective it was, if you can't get up for being in that moment with him, mm. uh, you don't deserve to watch beautiful Absolutely. Baseball. And that's what it was. It was it was a great game. Yeah, you got to take your shot, as it were. <laughs> no? A-Watch had a great game. Uh, I don't think we're going to get much like this out of him. I, and again, I'm not trying to be negative. It's just the guy he is, yeah. right? It's nice to see he's got it in him at least once. Maybe, you know, he'd be the type of guy where every once in a while you get a gem and the rest of it's crap. Right, so this is what I would say about Awash. I like more what I see from Awash, and it's not just this one game. I, Sunday was an abnormality, as it were. But I like more of uh, the command and uh, the the stuff, as it were, in terms of his mixing and stuff like that on the mound than it would a Tom Eshelman. Do I put him in John Means category? No. But do I think he could potentially be a fifth slash swing starter? Yeah, I do. I, and I think that's where I would position him saying, you know, if he could be a, a fifth starter for the next two, three years. Okay. Like, he's cheap. Let's go ahead and make that happen. Yeah. Can, can he give you five innings every fifth day? Right. Or, again, if we're going to talk about, you know, an opener standpoint, can he give you two to three innings every three or four days? This is the kind of person I'm looking for, again, who's going to be cheap, somewhat controllable, um, that, again, is not going to make um, major dividends, as it were, um, and then hopefully you can supplement that with some superstar talent going forward in the future. Speaking about superstar talent, we've got to talk about Stevie Wilkerson, who is absolutely lights out maybe our best reliever at this given time. And, you know, I, I go back and forth on do I like position players pitching or don't I? It's fun. It's fun to watch. It says horrible things about your team, but it is fun to watch. And, like, he loves it, mm -hmm. clearly. It's cool to see him be able to contribute that way. Sucks that it has to happen, but, you know, great. It's fun. I mean, it's an interesting scenario, and we, we can get into this maybe a little bit later. Um, you know what? I'll, we'll come into it a little bit later because I want to talk about Stevie Wilkerson in center field um, and, and go through that. But let's talk about Hall of Fame weekend, too, that was going on. And you had two uh, former Orioles go in there um, and some good Maryland moments. So Harold Baines was elected to the Hall of Fame, which is an absolute travesty, in my opinion. Um, but uh, Harold Baines certainly does love himself some St. Michael's, Maryland. And if you go down to St. Michael's, that's all people can talk about is Harold Baines, Harold Baines, Harold Baines. Um but yeah, it was it was nice to see Harold Baines pay some tribute, as it were, to St. Michael's, Maryland. Yeah. And then Mike Mussina got up, and of course there's been this whole controversy about, well, why didn't he choose the Orioles over the Yankees? Why did he go with a blank cap? But Mikey Mussina, you know, has always kind of been this conservative, close to the chest individual. Um, but ultimately he came out in his speech. I wouldn't say it was a great speech, but he did come out and reflect on his time in Baltimore. It's great gum chewing. Yeah, and uh, said some nice things. 
three years at Stanford. I was once again drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Most of their minor league affiliates were near Pennsylvania, so I was looking forward to heading back east to play. And as it turned out, my minor league debut was in Williamsport. Just 14 months after they drafted me, the Orioles took a shot, and I was called up to Baltimore with about two months left in the 1991 season. My first start was at Comiskey Park in Chicago, and I actually threw really well that day. I only gave up four hits. Problem was, Frank Thomas had three of them, including a solo home run, and we lost one nothing. And that was my introduction to the big leagues. Welcome to Orioles baseball. The next season was my first full year in the majors, and the first year for Camden Yards in downtown Baltimore. It was sold out every game, and we had a pretty solid season. I was able to win 18 games to make my first all-star team. I want to thank the Orioles organization for giving me the opportunity to pitch and prove that I could succeed at the major league level. To the Orioles executives who brought baseball back to Baltimore's Inner Harbor, it remains one of the best ballpark environments in the game. To the Orioles fans, to the Orioles fans who came out every game, 48,000 strong to support us and to support me, thank you. I have some great baseball memories from those years, and I loved pitching in orange and black. All right. A lot of really good things there. Typical things that you would expect anybody who is kind of an Orioles legend to kind of mention. It's still odd to me because, uh, again, I look back at previous Hall of Fame inductions, such as, you know, Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken. Um, and I, I look at this and I look at Mike Messina up there and I'm like, it just doesn't feel the same. And it doesn't have that same aspect where you've got Baltimore fans traveling out there and chanting like Eddie, Eddie. Um, I, I don't know. I, I appreciate what he's saying, but at the same time, it just doesn't feel like an Orioles induction. It feels like, again, an individual contribution. Well, let, let me, let's call a spade a spade. He doesn't bleed orange and black, right? And that's okay. If he did, you should be going to express care and getting yourself checked in. So. <laughs> you should see a doctor for yes. the last more than four hours. Uh, Mike Messina liked the Orioles enough, enjoyed his, his time in Baltimore enough to turn down pinstripes on his bust in Cooperstown. Yep. That's not nothing. No. That is incredibly not nothing. Yeah. So for people, and, and I'm, not say, I'm not grouping you in with these people. Sure. For people that hate on Mike Messina for his Yankee years, the problem is not with him, it's with you. Yeah, he he is not. Oh, my God, I love the Orioles because he had two very good baseball experiences. And let's face it. One of them was for the best uh, brand in baseball. Sure. And I I appreciate what you're saying in regards to, um, well, at least he didn't choose um, one team over the other team. And that's a big enough thing. But in in essence, um, what you're basically advocating is saying, hey, um, at least he voted for the Green Party as opposed to voting for a for a, a vote that actually mattered. No, no. If he went from the Orioles to the Mariners and he chose to go in with a neutral cap, okay, fine. He's turning down being inducted in the Hall of Fame as a Yankee. Mm-hmm. And that is meaningful. We hate to admit it, but that is meaningful. Okay. And so for I think Yankees fans should be pissed, mm-hmm. right? Because who who is he to turn down being a Yankee because he was a friggin' Oriole? Yeah, that's what he's doing. And so, you know, his I think his entire speech was like 12 minutes long. He spent, you know, three of it or whatever talking about the Orioles. Okay, that's fine. We are going to have to come to terms with the fact that Hall of Famers from now on, 
in the in the uh, free agent era are going to be like this. Yeah, there are no more Eddies. There are no more Cal's. You're going to have people who had three years here, five years here, ten years here, and then another career. Sure. And this is what we're left with. We're left with the scraps because the people that bleed orange and black, the people we love, the people that choose to stay here are not that good. Yeah. We're left with individual accomplishments as opposed to. we And, and players we love. We got Brian Roberts. You know, someday we'll have an Adam Jones. Yeah. We have a Nick Markakis and that's great. They're just not Hall of Fame. It was great hearing Brian Roberts on the broadcast this week also talking about his time in New York. That was that was great. I really, really wanted to hear that more. My wife turned to me and she's just like, who is this talking about his time in New York? I was like, that's Brian Roberts. He shouldn't be doing that right now. She's like, you got really upset there for a second. Yeah, I'm upset. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, I did. All right. Uh, last thing. Um, let's talk about Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Hits a home run. Yeah. Hits a lot of home run. Mm-hmm. In his in his first pro game, game uh, with the CGL Orioles golf coast league, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that's fun. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. But that's fun. And you know what I really like to see was uh, uh, high coming out afterwards. And it's like, yeah, that's great that he uh, hit a home run in the golf golf league. Um, I hope to congratulate him when he actually has a real one in the future. And I'm like, <laughs> my man, throwing a little shade at him, be like, I hope I can see him do it in, in Camden Yards. So it is cool, however, that there is video. Yeah, and it is really neat. One more thing. Oh, bonus last thing. Bonus last thing. Keon Broxton, designated for assignment. Can't happen soon enough. Uh, agree totally. Uh, but you know what this means? Yes, I do. <laughs> Anthony Santander. Santander! Is our new starting center fielder. Every day starting center fielder. My God, how far we have fallen. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, like I said, it is an interesting time in Orioles baseball. Um, A lot of things that even we can't wrap our heads around at this time. So let's get someone in here that is uh, another lifelong Orioles fans and maybe uh, tie us down a little bit and explain to us what we should be getting excited about and what are some things that we should maybe, you know, drink away, as it were. We'll be right back. Alex Fast is a lifelong Orioles fan, which I would argue puts him at a disadvantage for creating baseball content. After all, it's a soul-crushing experience, and that must make it difficult to find the joy, right? Alas, he works through that in order to serve as the head of operations at Pitcher List, as well as the -the behind-the-mic talent on the On the Corner and First Pitch podcasts. Alex, welcome to Bird's Eye View. Thank you, guys. I, I'm sorry it's come to this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wait, we're we're all sorry that it's come to this. Um, so no, I we, have to say, before we begin, I have been listening to you guys for years, even before I got into the fantasy baseball scene. I've always loved what you've done. I've been a big fan for some time now. I remember tweeting at you and getting so excited when you would respond. So uh, you, you've got a big fan over here. You, you have completely blown any credibility that you may have with the yep. listeners. So as an Orioles fan and a Bird's Eye View fan now, this is basically uh, unprecedented territory. We're, that we're, we're, we're trying to say nice things about you, and you blew it. Yeah, you blow it. 
So uh, misery loves company, as it were. Um, we always start off our interviews, as you know, uh, asking the first question: What's your drink of the week? Yeah, that's a great choice. So I'm uh, I my wife and I have not had a drink for a month because we were trying to lose weight, trying to get back down to my birth weight. Um, and that's uh, not advisable, you know. actually. I think that's <laughs> that's not a good thing. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I had it wrong. Maybe it was a little bit more than my birthday. But if I could, since I haven't had a beer in a month, I would. I would kill a man for a very nice left-handed milk stout. Ah, right very now. nice. Very nice. Good choice. Good choice. Thank you. So Thank you. Talk to me a little bit about Pitcher's List, um, and, and just talk mm-hmm. to me about the aspects of what you guys are doing over there, and uh, what you're trying to do to, to kind of differentiate yourself in, in this world of uh, baseball blogs and everything. And uh, basically trying to not be absorbed by by the athlete, as it were. <laughs> yeah, by, by, by the athletic. Yeah, yes. we're, we're doing our best. We're doing our very best not to. Uh, but we do know a lot of those guys, and we like them very much. So uh, Pitcherless was created by Nick Pollock many years ago originally as uh, Pitcher Gifts. And essentially, we just started by being like, oh, wow, look how awesome this 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 you know curveball is. So let's make a gif of it. And then we've kind of slowly but surely uh, grown over the past couple of years. We try and be a little bit of everything. We try and do a lot of fantasy analysis. We try and a lot of do do a lot of real life analysis. We want to um, find value where there might not be value. Um, uh, we'll talk about some of those guys uh, in a little bit, uh, especially pertaining to the Orioles. Um, but most value. I, <laughs> I know you're I know, funny. But hey, after Asher's performance on Sunday, we're referring to him as a watch. By the way. Awaj, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, what we really want to do is like Nick and I. We've been friends for a while now. We want to have just like unpretentious analysis. We, when I started out, I didn't know anything about baseball statistics, and we wanted to create a safe space where people could come and say, "What is woba? What is FIP? Do I really need to care about it?" Like. We don't want to be the people who are like, oh, I can't believe you don't know this stat. Or we also don't want to be the people who are like, oh, stats are the most important thing in the world and you don't have to worry about the eye test. We want to be a, you know, a nice in-between in the spectrum. And we just want everyone to like baseball because it's the best sport in the world. And that's really all we care about. Well, gee, that seems dumb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, it, it sounds very much, you know, uh, Scotty, of course, can count past 10 and I um, – feel all the things in my gut you, you need an abacus as it were to <laughs> get past ten. <laughs> but yeah so what you're telling me is that both scott and i could read pitcher list without uh descending into fist fights oh 100 and if you're and if you do then a film it so i can watch it and b reach out and let us know because we really are about feedback and like we want to do what's best for the community and I uh, the worst feeling is being made to feel like an idiot. You know what I mean? When you read something and someone like makes fun of you because you don't know of a stat and we never want to do that. So we always want to make sure everyone understands having fun on the same page. So speaking about kind of this transition from, you know, individuals that um, maybe not know too much about uh, advanced sabermetrician or statistics that we talk about. Obviously, the Orioles are going through a transition, as it were, from the Duquette administration. And certainly there was a an emphasis, as it were, in terms of sabermetrics and, and stats gathering. Um, but not to the degree, of course, that we're seeing now under uh, Elias and Sigma Dell. Um, what do you see differently to this point in approach within the front office as compared to the Duquette administration? And how do you think it stacks up with the rest of the league? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. Um, I mean, I remember when I, you know, there's that book that just came out, Astro Ball. Um, 
Did you guys get a chance to, to read that? Yes, yeah, so it all? was it was really interesting to take a look. And uh, once uh, Elias was hired, um, I certainly went back and read read it through it too because I was like, I read it beforehand, and then I came back and read it again. I was like, man, Elias is really mentioned through here a ton. And then when they actually went out and finally got Medell, it was interesting to see again how many more times Medell was actually mentioned over Elias in that book. So, um, you know, my whole thing when Elias was, I was like, if he can bring Medell in, uh, I certainly think that's a a major boon for the organization. So. Elias is the pretty face boy, basically, and Sigma Dell, mm-hmm. I think, is more the brains behind everything, in my opinion. I actually yeah. can't read or write, and there aren't enough pictures, so <laughs> sure, I, I sure, haven't, 100%. haven't quite hit it yet. I will work on uh, you know, Brady Anderson recording a book on tape for you, and we'll make sure that we, we get that over to you as soon as possible. With my commute, um, if I could listen to Brady Anderson read the side of the milk carton, I would listen. <laughs> Okay, great. Um, but I, I, I felt the exact same way. As soon as I picked up that book uh, and read it, you know, with the context of, oh, uh, these guys are now working in our front office, all of a sudden it made me think this isn't necessarily a book just about the Astros. This is immediately a book about the Orioles. And there have been some changes. Obviously, there's there's going to be, you know, um, some adjustment period. They didn't come in until a little bit later in the year. So I don't know if they were immediately able to start uh, having an impact. But when I look at the numbers, um, and, you know, we can get into an argument here of correlation. What is it? Correlation and causation. Um, but there are things that have definitively changed. Uh, and the first thing is, is the changeup usage. Um, we were 26th in the league. That is the Orioles in changeup usage last year. We only threw 9.3% of our pitches for changeups. This is just for the starting pitchers, by the way, not for the relievers. And we are currently first in the league. Uh, in changeup usage. Now, that's likely going to change moving forward because Andrew Kashner, you know, obviously went over to the Red Sox, but John Means is still throwing a fantastic changeup. Um, we've also seen an increase in four seam usage, which might not be the front office because you don't really, <laughs> that's not really a good thing considering how hard four seamers are being hit right now. But the best thing, the thing that really got me excited is we went from 19th in the league in sinker usage all the way down to 28th. And that is like, if there's one thing that you want to see, Right now, it's a drop in sinker usage because sinkers are just not as effective as they used to be. They're a pitch that's getting low in the zone, obviously. That's why they're called a sinker. And the swing planes are changing. Guys are going down and getting those pitches. They're being hit for home runs, obviously, all the time. So the fact that you know we finally said, hey, maybe we shouldn't throw our sinker anymore is a big step forward, in my mind, from the organization. Yeah, it's a weird transition because I remember when the Orioles actually started moving some of their pitchers um, over to sinkers during that Duquette regime. And, it, you know, that was a major league baseball trend, but I felt like the Orioles were behind on it. And I think it's an interesting mm-hmm. scenario now with, with the sinker revolution because sinkers started to become popular throughout major league baseball, I'd say, probably about four or five years ago. Um, and four seamers became the the untrendy aspect. And I feel like you're absolutely right. The changeup and the slider are now becoming the new sexy thing, as it were. Um, sinkers are going you know, the way of a fad, as it were. And even four seamers are coming up. And I, I come back to this point of, you know, looking at the pitchers that are out there, those pitchers, again, are having the velocities that we're looking for. They're, you know, 94, 95, 96 miles per hour. But also the spin rotation that they're getting with the four-seam fastball is almost compensating specifically so that they don't have to throw a sinker. They can basically rely on a high-spin four-seam fastball, but then also rely on a really nice slider and or changeup in order to get by, as opposed to going with a a full-me pitch in the words of of a sinker. But I feel like we're starting to get away from that you know ground ball revolution that we went through for a past for, for the past few years with the sinker and have now gone to more of this. Okay, let's look at trackman data and work on spin. Um, and, and work on that as opposed to just going to a sinker. And oh. that, that's sorry. I, go on, go on. I was just going to say yes, but can they throw a cutter? 
but you know what? I'm, I'm actually so happy that you bring that up because you I shouldn't was, be, you know, but I'll, I'll listen. Okay. All right. We, I was looking at, you know, obviously home runs are up and there's a chance that we get a clips like 68,000, 69,000, maybe even 7,000, 6,900, I should say, excuse me, uh, home runs this year. So I wanted to see what pitches were most effective in suppressing home runs. And it actually is the cutter, which is really bizarre. So if we did have a good cutter, that, that wouldn't be so terrible. But to your point, um, what you were saying before, it's such a, it's such a fantastic point. We call it the Blake Snell blueprint where guys are going up high with their, you know, high spin rate fastballs up in the zone. And then they're working low in the zone with their sliders. And that's like really kind of all they need. You look at guys like Caleb Smith, Matt Boyd, Patrick Corbin, even Jake Odorizzi, even though he has a splitter, these guys are working really high in the zone and then coming down to try and get their strikeouts. And what I think is going to happen, what I really hope the Orioles are going to start shifting their players with uh, towards is getting that pitch high in the zone. You know what I mean? That to me is going to be the next market inefficiency. Everyone's going to start pitching high in the zone to combat the low swing angle coming in right now. So you want to get guys who are going to be able to get those high fastballs. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting you know, theory. I mean, if you look at actually some of the folks that the Orioles have drafted and, you know, looking at some of the, um, you know, Ironbirds affiliates in terms of some of these late round picks, you've seen a lot of folks that are kind of these upper uh, velocity fastball pitchers that are going to throwing high up in the zone. And then they're working on that secondary pitch to basically throw low in the zone in order to get this with effectiveness. One of the other things that really was interesting to me um, from, from the Ironbirds actually was Kyle Bodie for, from driveline base bases was actually out there this past week and he was watching the Ironbirds game and he posted a tweet on there um, indicating that the Orioles were using blast, mo- blast motion sensors on the end of their bats. That is certainly something that the Orioles would have never have done in previous oh. seasons. Um, it's certainly something that the rest of the league has done as well. So it's not like the Orioles are the only ones doing it. But it is good to see that the Orioles are picking up and using more modern day technology, even at you know short season single A, as it were. And not just saying, we're only going to do this at double A AA or triple A. They're doing this with even people that are coming fresh into the organization in order to get that additional data. 100%. I mean, I bet Dan Duquette thought Blast Motion was like a Gatorade flavor. You know, like he, <laughs> he, had, he had no idea what that was. So that's great. Blast Motion is what happens after you have a few too many drinks. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Two burritos and I have a Blast Motion, unfortunately. All right. So you mentioned the, the market inefficiencies, and that is the phrase that we most clearly identify with Dan Duquette, except we we view that as as things like you know Hyunsoo Kim, but you, you talked about uh, the the pitch selection as far as a market mm-hmm. inefficiency. What are the other market inefficiencies that the 2019 Orioles, um, with let's just call a spade a spade, better leadership can take advantage of? Oh man, that's a really great point. And if I had a solid answer to that, I, I may be working for a club and 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 you know not floundering in my everyday life. Um, but I, I do think that kind of uh, getting back to what I said of like finding that guy who's going to be able to hit uh, high, high fastballs um, is going to be the most effective. Like really, sadly, the person who comes to mind right now is Bryce Harper. We just had an article on the site about how Bryce Harper made a change to his swing, something that Cody Bellinger is doing, something that Christian Yelich is doing. And that's allowing him to be able to make contact quicker, to get his hands around quicker to that high fastball. That's, I think, something that we should be taking advantage of. I mean, I don't know what they're going to be doing with Adley. I'm really excited for Adley, although, I, I mean, wasn't it, is it just me or like, it was like Weeders and then Cisco and then Adley. Wasn't there like a little bit of like, oh man, here we go again with you guys, or is that just me? Listen, don't say anything bad about, <laughs> about Adley Rutschman. And, and not because I think you're wrong, 
It's just that my heart can't take it. Okay? Sure. I, okay. We, we don't yeah. have to call him Jesus in cleats. We don't have to worship mm-hmm. him. But just mm-hmm. tell me everything's going to be okay. So That's all I need. Everything is going to be great. You saw. I saw you tweeting that tater that he hit a couple days yep. ago. I saw you doing that. So one thing I did think about is with the, the Rutschman standpoint, and it, this has been a conversation in terms of market inefficiency, is certainly one of the things that I, I don't think has been fully embraced and or realized to this point in terms of a market efficiency has been base running and stolen bases. We've oftentimes basically mm. thrown stolen bases and base running is something that we can measure, but it oftentimes leads into a situation where it is more dangerous, as it were, to basically get thrown out on the base pass as opposed sure. to saying, hey, we want to go ahead and get that home run. I wonder to myself if the orders are thinking, you know, along with Ali Rutschman and this amazing bat that we have, if we can get into a situation where, A, we have a plus framer, but also a decent arm behind the plate, if we can mm. mitigate base running from becoming um, you know, a phenomenon in the AL East or the AL, not now, but let's call it four to five years out, and this is them basically saying, okay, what do we think in aspect is going to be the next breakout? Maybe that's something that they're looking and saying, we want to have one of the best catchers out there, and I don't see Chancisco as being as one of those individuals that is going to be that best catcher. Um, Matt Wieters, I think, actually was an okay, I'd say, defensive catcher from a throwing out standpoint. I certainly wouldn't sure. say that case from a pitch framing standpoint. Uh, when mm-hmm. I look at Rutschman versus Wieters, uh, the pitch framing technique is absolutely night and day between the two. So, I mean, I oftentimes look at the aspect of Wieters and uh, Rutschman, and I'm like, okay, Wieters was a closer and a catcher. Uh, Rutschman is a catcher and sometimes a first baseman. Um, sure. I think there's a reason why Rutschman, again, is ranked in the top 10 for most uh, prospect lists right now, whereas Wieters was top 20-ish. I, I do think mm-hmm. that they are different players, as it were. And let's not badmouth Matt Wieters too much. He never turned into uh, a, a Hall of Famer, as it were, um, yeah. or even an all-star. But certainly for a first-round draft pick, um, he put up solid value, as it were, um, and I'd say did a little bit above average for typically what you would expect from a from a slot pick like that. Totally, I, and I couldn't agree more. I feel like the thing that got, that got me scared was like we were like, oh my god, it's Mauer with power. Yes, uh, and then you know whatever we called Chance Cisco, and I wanted to, like it was the same thing that happened with not to get too off topic, but with Vlad this year. Yep, mm-hmm. these are these are young men who have, when they are that big of a prospect, have the entire world watching their performance. And you know what I mean? Like, if that many people were watching me, I would forget how to tie my shoes. So I think they would, they, they have to deal with that pressure. And sometimes they don't lift up to these lofty expectations. And we're obviously, you know, we tend to be a very uh, hyperbolic community, right? This is going to yep. be the best hitter we've ever seen in the world. So, I, I, you know, maybe it's just being an Orioles fan for all this year. So I think I just expect the worst and then I'm very happy when I'm wrong. Yeah, it's Ben McDonald fear, basically. Oh, we, we've seen what happens with Ben McDonald when you draft him first. And, you know, uh, oh. you're just like, you know, bad things are going to come our way, as it were. And we should just be prepared for it. Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be, you know, twice the player that Manny Machado is, basically. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. See what I see what and, I deal with on a weekly basis. This is why I, I this is why I have drinks of the week. Um, <laughs> all right. So you you say that you listen to Bird's Eye View, and I I believe you, though it seems implausible that any human would do that. But I'll tell you what, the biggest Scott Magnus fan in the world is me, and he said something that I think has a lot of value. And so I'm going to ask you for an opinion on this. He has referred to Brandon Hyde as a muppet, not 
not because he doesn't believe that he's a good coach turned uh, manager, not because he doesn't think that he, he has what it takes to nurture a losing team and manage a clubhouse, but rather because he said all the right things and has therefore Michael Elias's hand in a very anatomically surprising place. Um, <laughs> so I ask you, Brandon Hyde, is he a man or is he a Muppet? Uh, is this a manager that can get us to where we need to go through the uh, through the rebuild? Or is this a guy that's just holding a seat in a Dave Trembling kind of way? That is a great question. I, I will say I loved it more than anything when it had to have been a month ago where he just said, I mean, in, in so many words, I hate watching these games. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? When he He's not said, alone, by the it. way. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what I loved. Right. He didn't sugarcoat it. He said, this is pathetic. You know what I mean? He, he hated that every game there was always one inning that lasted an hour and a half because we were you know, going through reliever after reliever after reliever. And to be honest, like, I don't we're at a time where I think GMs are having so much say more than we know over what's going on on the field. You look at what happened uh in actually New York in both places. I think Cashman is a little more involved than, than we think. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously happening with the Mets as well. So I, I don't really mind it either way. As long as we see results, I don't really mind it either way. And if along that time we have a guy who calls a spade a spade, then I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, we're, I'm okay with a, a, a puppet head, as it were, or, or, or a figurehead. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, the team just needs to succeed. It's not like Earl Weaver was there in 83 to lead the team into the World Series. We in essence had a had a Muppet there basically leading a really good team. Yeah, Alex, that was a yeah. fine that was a fine answer and I applaud it, but you didn't answer the question. Is he a man or is he a Muppet? <laughs> Listen, he did this in classic bird's eye view territory of he avoided the he question entirely and just talked around it. So he did it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Politics one oh one. I will say that any man who can call a spade a spade is a man. Okay. All right. All right. And you know what? Originally, when he came in, I would have said he was he, he was a Muppet. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. Uh, the candidness, as it were, or even talking about that Rutschman uh, bomb that he hit for his first <laughs> first game and saying, yeah, that's great, but uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see a, a real home one when he has one. I'm like, my man, way to, th- <laughs> way to, well, love it. Way to throw some shade at Gulf Coast League. I really appreciate that. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, this is going fine, and that's great, but I'm done with the softball questions, so you need to listen up real close here because I'm going to ask you a very pointed question. I demand honesty from you. I'm turgid. Let's go. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be sitting for the AWOJ Hall of Fame induction? After this week, that's clearly where it's going, right? You know what I mean? You're going to front row center. Oh, and he's going to be 100%. like, I always believed in him. Even when the Orioles traded him away last year, yeah. you know, I was always believing in you. Hey, we, we talked about this a little bit uh, in uh, this week in the Twitters or no, no, in, in the first segment. So tell me, what do you make of a watch uh, in, in total? And how does his stellar performance uh, this past week inform that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I, I think I have to order my my Astro jersey, but I want to get one that's like every team that he's been on. So I get the Blue Jays and the Astros and the Marlins and the Reds and the Orioles and the White Sox and the Indians. Just put them all into one big jersey, uh, a rainbow jersey, if you will. And that's what I'll wear to the uh, induction ceremony. Uh, if you guys want one, let me know. I mean, but outside of just the aspect of like ERA and FIP and, you know, all the important standpoint that we normally look at from a statistical standpoint, 
you know, you look at his career numbers, and they're and they're not terrible from a K per nine, even a even a walk per nine. The home runs per nine is like, oh my gosh, at one point seven seven. That'll play sure. in Baltimore. But that would play in Baltimore. Um, but I, I don't know. There, no, I, the, I watch there him out there, and I'm like, okay, there's something there. If he could figure out how not to give up home runs, something strange. Sure. Then it'd be well, great. So it's the Dylan time. Bundy issue, is what we're at again. No, so sure, sort of. So okay. So when when he first debuted in the first start against Tampa, I actually was texting Nick and I said there actually could be some promise here. In the most recent episode of On the Corner, before the start, we said Asher has a higher floor. Oh, excuse me, a higher ceiling than people think. And and the reason I started to notice that is we have a statistic over at um, at PitcherList that Nick kind of uh, came up with and that kind of fleshed out called CSW rate, which stands for called strike plus whips. Okay. It's not as crazy as people think. It literally says like, hey, why are we just paying attention to whips, like swinging strikes? Called strikes are really just as important. You know what I mean? Aaron Nola gets a lot more called strikes than he does whips, and he's still a very good pitcher. So we, we set up this whole system. It turns out that it correlates very well uh, to Sierra, which is another ERA yep. indicator for people who might not be familiar with it. Um, and we got really excited about that. We also found out that about league average is 28.6 for a starter. Anything above 30 is pretty good. So I'm going to read you what Asher's CSW rates were in his first four starts. 30.2 against Tampa Bay. Very good above average. 32 and a half against Toronto. Very good. 28.4 against the Nats, right at league average, not that great. And then 32.4 against Boston for an overall 30.6% CSW rate, which is exciting yeah. and means that there's actual promise there. You know what I mean? Um, to your point, he gives up a lot of homers and his fastball is, is, is not great. Um, he has a curveball that was on display really, really well yesterday against the Red Sox. He went to it 31 times. It was a 31% rate overall, which is about how much he threw it against the Rays in that, in that Orioles debut. He also got nine whiffs on the pitch. He ended the day with 23 whiffs, which is fantastic. And I kind of posit that it's because guys were saying, here comes that heater. He comes that heater. And then, you know, he's throwing the Uncle Charlie and he can get away with one. The that's that's it. That's the that's the ceiling. The floor is a guy who struggles with his command on a fastball, which is a dangerous pitch to struggle with in Camden Yards. Um, yesterday, he was able to spot it down and away. And that's kind of ironic because you would think that you would want him to elevate that a little bit more. But when he's dotting at the knees to lefties and low and away to righties, then he can have a lot of success dropping that curveball in there. I, I'm excited for him. It, it, listen, at least we finally have one pitcher that we can watch a start and maybe feel excited about because Tom Eshelman is not that guy. So when you know I, I mean? when I watched him, and don't I, tell Jim Palmer yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know when I look yeah. at him, I, I look back at some of the things and, you know, I look back on articles written by him. Um, and I, I look at this one article that's on Fangrass in terms of Houston Astros top 15 prospects from 2012 to 2013. And of course, uh, a Woj is listed right there, and you know they they list him out as potentially being a fourth or fifth starter, but potentially also a very useful bullpen guy. When I look at his kind of let's call it mediocre fastball, but that interesting you know curveball, um, and then potentially that ch- a changeup in the future as well, I, I do think to myself, okay, if he's not a fourth or fifth starter, could he turn into this individual that could come out and throw two or three innings as an opener going forward, and could he be the opener? Um, that the Orioles have been looking for for for, for a while now. Could he be, in essence, an actual good Miguel Castro as opposed to what Miguel Castro has turned out to be? 
Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And it actually brings up something that you brought up early in the podcast that I wanted to, to, to kind of harp on a little bit because I thought it was such a great point. Um, this is all going to come together at some point. I apologize if it's a little bit rambly. When we didn't sign some of these guys in the offseason um, who we could have gotten at a value or below their value, for example, in Adam Jones, who I think would have been a great signing, especially for one year and $8 million, it really pissed me off because it was like, we can get these guys below value and then we can trade them for whatever we want. And if they don't have success, then it doesn't matter. That's why I was totally fine with the Nate Karn signing. And to kind of tie this all together, we should be embracing the kind of things that other clubs can't do. Not only will it sell seats to be like, hey, we're kind of having fun with how we're trying to win games right now, but it could, you know, it's a great way to try out new trends like the opener. Um, it's a great way to try and win ball games in a more creative way because we certainly don't have the talent as it is right now to win a bunch of games. So when you talk about, you know, Asher coming in as an opener, I couldn't agree more with that. I know we've done it a little bit. I know we did it with Carnes. I know we did it with Jimmy Yacobonis, but we haven't really dug into it the exact same way that other organizations are really embracing it. Now, I'm not just talking about the Rays. I'm talking about other teams like the Angels or the Mariners who don't have the greatest rotations, or at least they're a little bit more depleted now. They're doing that, and I don't understand why we're not. So I love that point, and I think it's a great point. He could be utilized as that. And I think it's a really interesting scenario, and I know other teams have done this too, in terms of combining their opener uh, with a certain pitch arsenal and then basically throwing something completely opposite on it. So mm-hmm. again, all your pitchers are getting are, all your hitters are getting timed for let's call it the first or second time through the order, and then you're completely flopping it on its head. I think to a certain regard, you know, when you see Darren O'Day came out of the bullpen in, in the past, you know, the you know, the hitters have been seeing something for so long, and then you see Darren O'Day come out with his delivery, and again, you've got to track it accordingly. So again, changes the eye. Keeping up this aspect yeah. of keeping people off balance along with Stuff. I mean, you're never going to get past the aspect of stuff. Stuff still has to be there. But deception is such a hard aspect to kind of measure and quantify. We can take a look at it in terms of, you know, angles, in terms of pitch slot release, um, you know, whether the person's releasing in any similar manner for a fastball versus a breaking ball. But I think a similar aspect has to be looked at of saying, can we also institute an aspect where pitching slots are coming from the same rot- same area from different pitchers, as it were, and are we getting a different look at the ball? And does that confuse the mind, as it were, from a psychological standpoint? So these are all, like you said, interesting experimental design and hypotheses, as it were. Um, who knows if they would work on a longer-term aspect? But as you pointed out, you've got nothing else to lose. You might as be trying all the weird hypotheses that you have in order to see what that's going to happen. And certainly, I think your point that you made earlier in the interview of saying the team came in late— um, and wasn't able to potentially uh, unleash some of these plans. I think going into 2020, um, we're going to see some really odd baseball, and sometimes it's going to be really terrible, but we're used Mm -hmm. to terrible baseball. And then sometimes (laughs) we're going to say, oh my gosh, like how did they actually pull that off? And uh, we're going to say, okay, maybe there's something here that we're missing. Um, And as much as there's been articles written about how bad the Orioles are, I think we're going to see a similar thing next year for 2020. We're going to say, hmm, maybe the Orioles are doing something that nobody else is trying at this time. That's weird, yes. but it might be a good weird. Yeah, they, they, yeah. That's what science and data analytics is all about. Sometimes you come across weird data, and sometimes that weird data turns out to be actually useful. So uh, I think it's a really interesting standpoint. Jake, I know uh, we've had a debate on Bird's Eye View uh, specifically what? you I, and i debate I, imagine that on this program so uh <laughs> we need um alex here to settle a debate for us uh 
is Anthony Santander getting better? Uh, and has his name change a factor in the reason why he is potentially getting better? Oh man. I mean, so he's coming off that great weekend. So it's easy for us to be like, yeah, he's, he's absolutely getting better. Yep. That sounds like um, Jake. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, definitely. I wish I could say it had to do with a name change. I wish I could just do that at my job and go by a different name so I could be more effective at doing it. But I mean, it, it is starting to be a big enough sample size where, you know, you, you can get a little bit excited about, it. I mean, I mean, since the beginning of, of the month, he's slashing 309, 350, 473. Yeah, he's got, you know, just two home runs, just one double, but he's also still striking out at a 21% clip. Um, You have to figure that the BABIP, uh, you know, is 366 BABIP or batting average on balls in play for those who who don't really. That'll happen for the rest of his career, right? At 366? The dragon will always (laughs) stay with him. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the most sustainable number you've ever heard. Um, I I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to believe that this is the guy who's going to be the, you know, a a part of our future. Uh, I would love it. I would love it if he kept it up so we could, you know, turn him into any prospect whatsoever. Um, I will say this. If we want to end on a, on a kind of nice note about Santander, while the 366 BABIP is not sustainable, he could have a higher than 300 career BABIP. Um, you know, and like we're saying, for those who don't really know BABIP, usually it, reg- it, it regresses to 300 um, over the course of a player's career. But most importantly, it regresses to where they set it. As well, so overall, 300 is a good number. But for guys like Santander, who's got an above-average sprint speed, he's in the 67th percentile in sprint speed, so he's a little bit better than normal. He can have a higher BABIP than 300. Um, so, yeah, is he going to hit over 300 for the rest of the season? Absolutely not. But he might be able to be in a pretty sustainable 260, 270 bat. I can't believe that you couldn't muster more excitement about the starting center fielder for your Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. This is clearly somebody was... that the Orioles have stolen away from the Boston Red Sox. Somebody they, they believe sure. in, Alex. Somebody that they have turned into a diamond in the rough that is going to be the very core Actually, of this. We're not talking to Alex. We're actually talking to Nick Pollock now. Oh. Um, <laughs> so... We went through a name change, so what's going to happen yeah, exactly. going forward? Yeah, okay. now I'm that is a now very, <laughs> very weird pronunciation. All right, yeah. so maybe Anthony Santander is not God's gift to center field, but if we're going to talk about gifts, if mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the things that make life worth living, if we're going to mm-hmm. talk about the things that shake our very soul in all of the right ways, Alex, you need to answer this question. I need you to think very carefully about it because it is the basis upon which we will judge you forever. Alex fast Beatles or stones. It's not even a question. It's the Beatles. Okay. Okay. Jake knew there was a reason he liked you. I, I just, I've listened to that forever. I listen. uh, Okay. I like the stones. The Stones were regurgitation of the sound at the time with a lot of very good covers. Very, very good covers. They're very unique and they're amazing. They did not redefine an entire generation the same way that the Beatles did. Jake is literally putting fingers to his lips and throwing them to the air. Uh, So everyone, if you want to go uh, listen to a cover band at the bar, go throw on a Rolling Stones album. If you want to listen to... uh, you know, musical genius, 
Put on a Beatles, Beatles album and uh, just Scott, enjoy Scott it. wants you to listen to the White Album. Um, uh, no, we're not talking about the White Album. That's a piece of... That's like a, a Stones album. It's basically just a bunch of covers. So, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> all right. Before this descends into the fist fight that Scotty will clearly win, because I don't think you all realize how tall this human being is. Legs uh, for days. Let me ask you this. I'm like Daniel Cabrera. That's not the only leg I have. <laughs> Alex, please save us. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Tell us about the picture uh, picture list and tell me uh, uh, about you personally on the on the interwebs. Uh, yes, they can they can find us at at pitcherlist.com. We have dozens of articles coming out each week. I don't know how we're still writing about things. Uh, and then they can follow your lead because you don't do it yet, and follow me on Twitter at alexfast8. I am doing that right now. Thank you for Nailed shaming. It. Dude, that was clever. I like that. Was that. Good. that was good. That was good. So yeah, follow at AlexFast8. I actually just did it myself. So that'll that'll be good. And hey, if you go to AlexFast8's uh, uh, Twitter bio, uh, he's got the great uh, Robert Andino 2010, 2011, <laughs> 2012 smile aspect. Uh, certainly worthy of a follow uh, if you don't do it for any other reason, but then just to tip your cap to uh, not so happy Robert Andino. So uh, my favorite, my absolute, absolutely favorite. favorite. Yep. All right. Well, Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for listening to the show and uh, Hey, keep doing what you're doing. And like I said, we look forward to talking to you in the future uh, about the Orioles and other things that are interesting in the world of Sabermetrics. Maybe even a better club in the future. Maybe, maybe. Yes, here's hoping, here's hoping. Um, guys, thanks so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Ah, it's good to be back in the win column. I always forget that you've moved to who's the boss. I always expect, uh, what was it, Elvis and Ann Margaret? Yes. uh, This is so much better. You should win every week just so we can listen to this. This past week's category was RBI. Jake, you picked Hanzo Roberto, who had one RBI. I picked Renato Nunez with three RBIs. (laughs) One to three. Uh, Trey Mancini led the pack with seven. This team is awful. Uh, right behind Mr. Santander with six RBIs. Uh, so yeah, Renato Nunez, third place. It's pretty terrible still. So Jake, you get to pick the category. The score now is seven to four to one. You're not going to like this. Okay. You are absolutely not going to enjoy this. Okay. I'm going to ask you, Scotty Magnus, Mm -hmm. to tell me which pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, over the next seven days, you think is going to record the most strikeouts? Oof. Okay. Uh, I am going to go with... Hmm. I'm going to go with Michael Givens. All right. That is a great answer. My response is Jimmy Yacobonis. Okay. Not a good pitcher? Not a good pitcher. But one that they go to often. One that they're going to basically farm for outs. And, you know... I, that's what I was thinking is like, who are they going to get out there and who's going to potentially see the most amount of innings this week? And the only thought that I had was the orders are going to want to get Givens out there to basically promote for potential trade value. 
So there's no better chance right now to say, hey, go out there and, and get, get your shot. I agree. But let's just talk about the last week, shall we? Sure. Uh, first of all, Michael Gibbons, 10th on the team in this last week in his two games. Yep. In his, uh, let's see, 2.1 innings pitched, one strikeout. Yeah. Team lead, by the way, was uh, one Awaj. Awaj. In two games started over, uh, well, let's just 12.2 innings pitched, Woo. 17 strikeouts. Number two, uh, Jimmy Yak. Jimmy Yak. With his 2.1 innings pitched, four strikeouts. Number three was Tanner Scott, over three innings pitched oh. with three strikeouts. And in 3.2 innings, uh, Tom Eshelman was was fourth with, uh, with also three. So interesting numbers, though not really. I'm going with Jimmy Yak. You're going with, dare I say it, Michael trade value given yeah i mean i guess we could have gone with aaron brooks who potentially is going to get two starts <laughs> two, but, two opens yeah but I, I i have no faith because i don't even know what aaron brooks looks like so i'm going to go with michael Givens and hope that he somehow gets some trade value out aaron, of it. by the way uh we i don't think we've plugged the bevies since it happened but i'm disappointed in in many ways that uh, Utah Street Report went away from the forgotten man yes. category. Aaron Brooks is... I have no clue who Aaron Brooks bar is. Bar none. Yeah. No the idea. forgotten man. I could no bump idea. into Aaron Brooks tomorrow and no. I have no idea who he was. Yeah, and I, I look at Taylor Scott and I'm like, didn't we release him? And then I'm like, oh no, that was Tanner Scott, not Taylor Scott. And it's like, the dude has literally the same name as me. And again, I'm like, who, who, who is this guy? But Aaron Brooks, like, no chance. Like, I would never recognize him. No chance. All right. So you are going with Givens. I am going with Jimmy Yak. Jimmy Yak. And we will find out who will own it. So let's find out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week in Birdland. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started, mostly because Scotty's rants exceed the quality of my own. So I'm going to get started with the good, and my good this week, I can't believe I'm saying it, is going to go to Richie Martin Jr. And this is borderline small sample size, but it is a week's worth of stats, so I'm going to give it to him. 184 weighted runs created plus, a 447 Woba, a double, and a triple. And yeah, we're only talking about uh, 12 plate appearances. But hey, 5 for 12. I'm going to take any good signs I can get. I have beat up on Richie Martin all season. I want him to do well. Here's hoping that Richie Martin can figure out how to be an average, a league average bat because his defense will keep him here if he can do that. My good's good to go to boom, 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 boom. Trey Mancini posted a 444 average this week, 1.276278 slugging, 685 Woba, 345 weighted runs created plus, four home runs, two of them in that pivotal Sunday game that we talked about. Trey Mancini went through a hard patch there. 
but he's coming out of it once again and delivering. Do you think Trey Mancini was shaken by the all-star snub? No. Okay. I don't. I don't. Look, why do you why do you crap on my stories? I want there to be stories. All right, moving on. All right. <laughs> my bad will go to Jonathan No Trade Value VR. What happened? What happened to the trade value? Jonathan VR led the team in 23 plate appearances, and what did he do with that? Well, let me tell you. He had a 57 weighted runs created plus. 57 weighted runs created plus. A 258 Woba. He reached reached base safely only five times. No, no trade value. Jonathan VR, not good. In fact, I would say he was bad. Jake, uh, my bad is going to go to MLB. Uh, Somehow, uh, I was unable to watch the Orioles and the Red Sox play this weekend on MLB.tv while in Mexico due to blackout restrictions. I'm sorry, what? Maybe the lawlessness of Mexico reminded them of Baltimore? Uh, I'm assuming there was something of, you know, it's a Boston thing that was being broadcast in there to Cancun or something like that. Maybe Cancun is Yankees territory. But literally, I cannot broadcast a Red Sox game into Cancun for some reason. I have no reason why. I have no no understanding why this is even happening. Consider yourself lucky. Okay. I am going to tell you that my experience with watching the Orioles in Mexico is not good. Okay. As you may or may not remember, I was married in 2005. Oh, that that was a good first half of the season. Yeah, the Baltimore Orioles were in first place until the day I got married. I went on my honeymoon. We went to Mexico. We watched the Orioles on ESPN. Deportes. Deportes. uh, Lose a series to the New York Yankees and never looked back. Uh, So, Scotty, maybe Mexico was doing you a favor. That, that is a possibility. Jake, why don't we go ahead and, and take it to our ugly? All right. My ugly is going to go to Andrew Kashner. Andrew Kashner, of course, this week gave up uh, four runs and six innings pitched. He did have six strikeouts, but he gave up two walks in addition to those four earned runs over six hits. And wait a, wait a second. Um, that actually worked out in the Orioles' favor. Um, yeah, this is just me enjoying enjoying uh mostly out of spite uh the fact that we we beat up on andrew kashner after he left no i'm not i'm not gonna do ugly i'm just gonna relish in the andrew kashner ugliness uh jake my ugly for this week is going to go to jim palmer whoa whoa let let me warn you come after the king you best not miss jake i am coming after the king And it's for, let's just say, calling you out in a previous week for the Tom F. Schumann may not be good enough to be a major league pitcher, but he's probably enough good enough to get a few starts on the 2019 Orioles. And Jim Palmer promptly gave you the, okay, Chief, uh, tweet back. Jim Palmer, I point your direction to Saturday's game. Look at Tom Eshelman and tell me that Jake English here is not right. That Tom Eshenin is not good enough to be a major league pitcher, but he probably will get a few starts on the 2019 Orioles. Jake English, once again, is demonstrating that he knows more than a Hall of Fame pitcher 
more so than the greatest Orioles pitcher of all time, and is once again reaffirming my belief about why it is so good to listen to his insights on a daily basis. Jim Palmer, you were ugly. Get it together and admit that you were wrong. I have to admit about being emotionally conflicted about your ugly this week. (laughs) First of all, I don't think it's wise to tussle with Jim Palmer because, as we noted, he will eviscerate you on social media. It will will be be swift and it will be justice. Yep. If you start hearing like, (laughs) you know Palmer be coming. All right. You want to go ahead and blow the safe? Please do. All right. Let's go ahead and blow this thing. All right, Jake. So uh, news came out this weekend that uh, Sarah Perlman will be leaving the Orioles. And I don't know. It's not like she had been here for too long. She said that she had been here for several years, but like maybe behind the scenes and stuff like that. She did uh, Mass in All Access. Okay. But in her current role, she had been in like five months. Yeah. Yeah. As an on the field reporter or a sideline reporter, she had been here for a few months. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, you know, thanks for everything. Thanks for all the fish. I'm moving on to a new opportunity, yada, yada, yada. And Masson came out and was just like, hey, we're, we're sorry we're going to lose you. You know, you're great talent, so forth and so forth. And a part of me was like, gosh, darn millennials. Like, when can you just not accept that you've got a good thing going here and just to kind of ride it out, as it were, and just gain the experience as opposed to flip-flopping into a brand new journey, as it were. Okay. This is me being an old man now. I I cannot believe you're going to make me do this. Okay. I'm going to have to argue with you wholeheartedly. Okay, about millennials jumping ship? First of all. Yes. First of all. Yeah. Uh, the social contract has been broken, my friend. There are no pensions so when people change jobs to get a better deal, yes. it's simply them doing what companies would do in the reverse any day of the week. Sure. Secondly, I can blame no one for spending five months watching Baltimore Orioles games on a regular basis and having to pretend to care jumping ship to find uh, something else. Something else. I have no problem with that. Third, and and most importantly... They didn't give her something meaningful to do. Sideline reporter is a stupid job. It is a stupid job, and it is unfortunate that Masson decided that, you know, the blonde sports reporter was the one that had to be sideline reporter. I wish her well for whatever she does. I hate that job. Yeah. I I think that it is borderline demeaning. Uh I, I don't think that the fact that I... I don't think the fact that I found that she didn't have anything useful or interesting to say was her fault. I thought it was the role. So I don't know what she's off to do next. I hope it's more interesting. Mm -hmm. Fine, whatever. So you feel like that role of being the sideline reporter and, in essence, um, the reporter, the female reporter on the sidelines is basically just kind of a – a, a, a meaningless role, as it were, and that um, Masson should have done better to basically put her into a, a better position. Yeah, I, I I think that there are better things that you can... If, if you decide 
this is a talented person in the sports industry mm-hmm. that has a meaningful point of view mm-hmm. and the skills to entertain our fans mm-hmm. that putting them in a sideline reporter role is is a a short change of those skills. Gotcha. Basically having to come up with questions for rookies parents and having that be that person's job is a waste. Gotcha. You know, Tom Davis wouldn't do it and and uh you know Mark Viviano wouldn't do it. Of course. So why would she? Right. So um I I completely understand what you're saying for um um, it, it certainly seems to me like um, you're saying uh, Amber Theo Harris, you're on notice. I'm I'm saying as an American University graduate, okay. I hope for good things for her. Okay. <laughs> of course, they always go on to lead triumphant lives, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm just I'm rooting for all of them. I'm, I'm rooting for everything. Yes, and that. That is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Birds Eye View Baltimore. Dot com. Bird's Eye View is available for wherever millennials get their podcasts these days. <laughs> uh, typically, uh, I get my podcasts from either Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and, and many others. But I'm sure there's something brand new out there, and you know it'll be the brand new thing for the next three to five months. Creamsicle. Yeah, they're ex- exactly creamsicle. That's a throwback. Uh, please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. It encourages other people to listen for the first time. And hey, maybe you'll even get an interview with us one day. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media where we are on Instagram, Facebook, and on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. You gonna watch the Diamondback series with the Orioles? Uh, only because I like crying. Okay. Would you really want to have Adam Jones back this year? Yes. Okay. I wouldn't. Know. There is nothing interesting about this team. Oh, really? Yeah. Anthony Santander would disagree with you. So would Stevie Wilkerson's pitching. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think Adam Jones would have pitched? No. still here it's over go home go